Hello and welcome. You're listening to Writers Aloud, a podcast brought to you by writers for the Royal Literary Fund in London. Hello and welcome to episode 412 of Writers Aloud. In this episode, the second part of a two-part interview, Rebecca Goss speaks with John Greening about collaboration with artists and photographers, the various uses of pamphlets at different stages of a writing career, her return to Suffolk and curiosity about rural life, and the continuing importance of loving the process of writing. You can hear the first part of this interview in our preceding episode, number 411. We rejoin Rebecca and John as they begin discussing the influence of artist Alison Watt on Rebecca's collection, Girl. Rebecca Goss has won many awards and was selected as one of the Poetry Book Society's Next Generation Poets in 2014. She has an MA in Creative Writing from Cardiff University and has taught the subject herself for the Arvon Foundation, the Poetry Society, the Poetry School and the University of East Anglia. In 2018, she was appointed Creative Writing Fellow at Liverpool John Moores University, where she'd earlier studied English. Her debut, The Anatomy of Structures, appeared in 2010 from Flambard Press and was followed three years later by a Carcanet Northern House collection, Her Birth. This was widely praised, Helen Dunmore noting its translucent language and Bernard O'Donoghue its narrative compulsion, calling it a wonderful book. Her birth won the poetry category of the East Anglian Book Awards in the year it was published and was subsequently shortlisted for three prizes, the Portico, the Warwick and the Ford. This was the second of Rebecca Goss's full collections and it explores the experience of losing her baby daughter in 2008. It was followed in 2019 by Girl, which Carcanet's cover note describes as a celebration of female identity and experience and the dynamics of family and friendship. Girl also appeared on the shortlist for the East Anglian Book Awards. Her two pamphlets highlight an interest in interdisciplinary projects, such as the collaboration with photographer Chris Routledge, which led to Carousel, published by Guillemot in 2018. Rebecca Goss lives in rural Suffolk, where she grew up. Several poems in, in uh, Girl after Alison Watt. Could you explain who Alison Watt is so, and, what, and why the interest. Um, Alison Watt is an artist, a Scottish artist, and she paints wonderful... Oh, she paints in a, a variety of... Uh, she's been a portrait artist, um, but I, I was very drawn to her more abstract canvases. I saw two of them at the Liverpool Walker Art Gallery several years ago, about 2016, something And um, they're vast, vast canvases, and they're close-up twists and folds of white fabric. They're quite mesmerising. Um, and I found myself just staring at these paintings for a very long time, falling into them, loving them. And the, the blurb, as in, in galleries beside the painting, said that Watt was an artist drawn to the erotic connotations of fabric. <laughs> that appealed to me. Yeah. But it appealed to me so much. Yes, yes, yes. And it said that she sort of implies a human presence in her paintings. And actually, the reason she started that series of paintings, I've come to find out, of, of these, the, the cloth, is um, when she used to paint live models, when they got up and left, 
she loved the imprint they left oh, behind yes. yeah, on the fabric and yeah. she thought that was really interesting and beautiful to explore yeah. and that's where it came from. So I was really drawn to all that and I love things she said about painting and the process for her anyway. But I found myself sort of wanting to go, go against what she was doing which mm. is only imply a physical presence yeah. and I wanted to take the paintings and actually put a physical presence much more yeah. explicitly in yeah. there. But my take on emphastic work has never been to see the painting go away and describe it in a poem. I don't see the point of that. I think the poet is purely then just meddling. Hmm. You know, what are we doing? What are we adding? So I've always said that my Alison Watt poems are about how her paintings made me feel. Hmm. They're not always about what I see. They're just about what they made me feel. And I just had such a strong reaction to them when it came to sort of visualising the female body Hmm. and experience in her paintings. But it was lovely. I mean, as a result, she got wind on Twitter that I'd written some poems and I sent them to her. And then she said, she said I could use one of her paintings for the cover. So it was yes, all, striking yeah, cover. So, so it was all, it all, mm. it was all a, a lovely thing. Yes, yeah, so I Google one or two of them because it's a whole sequence of poems throughout the, the yes. book. So it's interesting to see them online as well. Did you originally think of, sort of having them all together or... Or were you always going to sort of sprinkle them throughout? throughout I, I the quite like the sprinkle effect. Mm, right, yes, I don't know about you, but I just, I think, um, and I think also because I'd written what was quite a realistic linear narrative, mm, you know, mm. but in sequence form, you know, with her birth, yeah. I quite like the idea of just scatter, scattering. I quite yeah. like coming across them again and then you realise, oh, the poet's doing this, are they? Or they're, they're exploring that, are they? Because yes, yes. I've found another one. Yes. So collaboration, I mean... With the same subject, the 2018 pamphlet, or well, pamphlet is, is too meek a word for, for, for Carousel, a lovely book from Guillemot, uh, where you're collaborating with a photographer. Uh, tell us about that. that my, my, my lovely friend Chris Routledge, who I met in Liverpool, and we, we sat on a panel together at a literary conference, and we were both very nervous. And he's got a great sense of humour, and we, we really hit it off, and he was very relaxed and funny and... Uh, and we always kept in touch from that moment onwards. And that was a long time ago. That was about mm. 2007 when we first mm. met. And he's a very interesting man, interested and good at lots of different things, uh, writing, photography, teaching. And he approached me to say, a couple of years later, actually, though we'd always kept in touch, to say, Rebecca, I'm thinking of starting a blog, putting a few photographs on it. Would you like to write some poems in response? And we didn't think of it as anything more than that. Mm. And we did start it, and it was a really enjoyable process of exchanging the work. He'd give me the photo, I'd go away, then send a poem to him. And then once we thought it was okay, we'd put it on this little blog that no one ever looked at. And it's still in existence. It's still out there somewhere. Mm. And uh, we, uh, we just carried on like that for a long time. And then it was only... It was, quite, it was a very long time, about eight years or something. And then think I must have said something about it on social media I can't remember and Luke from Guillemot said mm. have you ever thought about turning it into a tactile thing mm. and I said no but I'd be interested <laughs> in and then that was it then yes yeah yes. but I think I'd already worked with Guillemot with on the triptychs before right. then so I, I had some contact with Luke and he knew of my work mm. but I'm really grateful for him to for taking it on because he really had that vision of I think Chris and I were so just used to seeing it on a blog that it was just that kind of that was the only way you could access it. But 
Luke put so much thought into how it was going to... beautiful book. Well, well, Chris and Luke spent hours and hours about the paper and the photos. I mean, I literally feel like play a very minor part in that book. But it it matters with that kind of thing. I mean, there's a... a Honourable tradition of, of um, such books. I mean, I, I think particularly Faye Godwin and Ted Hughes's Elmet, where they also spent an awful lot of time getting getting the, the presentation. Right, big Ted Hughes. He had the whole thing reprinted because he wasn't happy with oh it. What it um, but um, did you look back at, at uh, what other other collaborations between photographer and poet had done, or, or did that interest you? Or, or no, um, I, I knew of some poet friends who had also gone down a similar route. Mm. My friend Mary Robinson, she did a collaboration with a with a photographer too. Mm. Um, I didn't look too much at it. I think also because a lot of the work was already done, you know, as in on the blog, and there's part of me that thought, right, well, that's just going to be a book now, you know. So so I... um, And then, of course, Chris and Luke became very, very focused on what it was really going to look like. And I, I, I didn't sort of step back from it like that, but yeah. I would, uh, it was important to us sort of, like, I love that kind of square shape of it. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, that, I think that's come out really well. And mm. we were very conscious about... So we wanted it to look like the poem was almost like a picture in itself as well against the other picture. It was, we didn't want the poems to look quite rambling. It was quite conscious how the poems looked on the page as well. And the, it's structured very cleverly, so the blurred photo leads to one about Moorfields, which we associate with eye hospitals. Yeah, right. And, yeah, and uh, they're not necessarily the kind of photographs you would think would spark a poem either always and yet the poems that emerge from them are, are, are wonderful you know the, the it, sardines <laughs> a, a chair the checking in a picture of just a, of, a, of a sort of bare a sort of hotel room which you you get some brilliant uh, images from so that that's quite an interesting one because that's mm. where we, we didn't fall out chris and i but we were very candid with each other mm. and he actually was always said he felt quite unnerved if i took his photograph mm. and that was one of them the hotel and then applied this narrative out of nowhere this whole story to it yeah. it's a it's a room with an empty bed in it yeah. which looks like a hotel yeah. and i put people in it and their backstory yeah. and their and he was like well don't do that too much you know, we really, he um but that was really quite interesting we had that yeah. conversation and then we tried it once i gave him a poem and he went away to do a photo oh, but yeah. it was really really and such a literal interpretation of the poem right. and i yeah. and i said no i don't like that i, I don't like that so no, we, it, we were quite good at saying to each other no that's not working yeah there's a, you've got to allow yourself kind of freedom yeah. really haven't you yeah so what's the appeal of the of, of the pamphlet the chapbook the, the sort of 20 30 page Book, well, I think they're lovely things. Do you mm. think they're lovely I things? I do, yes. I'm in favour of them. Yeah, I, th- I th- thought you might be. I think they uh, are... Um, I think they are can be an important stage in a, in a poet's life if they're the, your, you know, that's your first route into publication. And I think they're much... They're getting more highly regarded all the time, mm. aren't they? Mm. Um, so I'm, I, I love my first pamphlet and I think they're a great way to showcase a voice and what you want to do. But I love the way now that, it, that poets... Um, you know, sort of dip into pamphlets or, you know, dip out of the, oh, this is my trajectory, collection after collection, Mm. and actually think, do you know what, I'm going to... It allows you to step out of that pressure of a, I need to find 60 poems for the next book, and actually, can I just go off and do something a little bit different? You know, explore it just with the same passion and energy that you would a full collection, Mm. and maybe as in-depth in such a way, but not... But not necessarily have to produce 60 poems and it take five years, like it does me. (laughs) (laughs) You know... Which brings us to that next collection. You told me that you were working on a whole series of poems about Suffolk. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a bit about that. And Suffolk is, is obviously important to you. Yeah, so I came, I, I grew up in Suffolk and then uh, went to university at 18 to Liverpool and basically stayed away for 20 years. Mm. Um, was was up north. And then um, 
came back uh, nine years ago actually and I never thought I would come back and of course uh, now I'm back here I I'm the eldest of four and um, one of my siblings is back and the other one comes back a lot and mm -hmm. um, we we've often had conversations about how we were so desperate to get away from here but have all found ourselves gravitating <laughs> back you know and, I and I've met people in the town I've moved to who've who did the same as me, moved away and then came back. I don't think it's uncommon. And, and I found myself wanting to write about here, a lot to do with my husband's working life here. He um, started his life as a... He started it up north, but he's a furniture and cabinet maker and he found a workshop in Suffolk and that was all part of our move to live that kind of lifestyle here. And through him, his workshop is on a farm, I just began to see lots more about how rural Suffolk working life um, operated mm. and found myself getting to know and because we live in a very old house that we're very slowly I don't want to say renovating because that sounds disrespectful and we're not <laughs> modernizing in any mm. way but we're just very gently repairing parts of it shall we say mm. I found myself meeting people like lime plasters and thatchers mm. and seeing people at work on the farm and Jim's work is so physical with his hands and in the workshop and it all and, sounds a bit like uh, Ronald Bly's Aiken food well well yeah that's one of my dad's favorite books really? too yeah, so yeah. um yeah I I I suddenly thought well, like well I, I had this idea then to interview local people mm. who work with their hands and write poems about their lives and I have done that mm. not a huge amount I suppose but I I met a blacksmith I spent a day with a farmer and lime special the, the lime plaster at work and and I do find it fascinating and I have enjoyed writing those poems and they are going to be in the collection I'm definitely not going to lose them but I I found it hard to sustain for a whole book yeah you know yeah. and I said and that's when I became stuck and thought well how am I going to how am I going to do 55 poems of this yeah it's difficult. so now I suddenly and not suddenly but now I'm realizing maybe there's more to explore about my own childhood here yes. And the reason why I've come back, I yeah, think. Yeah. That's what I'm exploring. Why did I come back? It's, it's a county much associated with poets. I mean, a, a Michael Hamburg, I know, lived here and wrote about it a lot. Neil Powell lives here. You mentioned Rachel Boast. Rachel Boast has um, a connection in a yeah. village not far away. Yeah. Pauline Stainer was living here that's when right. I moved. And, and we became well. friends. That's right. Yeah, well, we became friends. And... So, I don't know, Norfolk gets job as well, something about Eastern England which does encourage poets. Um, and you've got Crab there as well. Yes, <laughs> of course. But, uh, um, Jim actually ended up making Paulina a writing desk in his workshop. Really? Yeah, so, yeah, so that was a nice uh, connection. Wonderful poet, Pauline Stainer. Um, are there other things you want to get into your work, or are there other genres you want to experiment with, like about plays, for example, or oh. children's writing we were talking yeah, about? Yeah, we were, weren't we? Um, no, though... I admire all other genres. I like reading plays, mm. and no, I've, you know, I've, oh, I would love to be able to write a film, a screenplay. Oh, mm. yeah, but that's just a fantasy. That's just something mm. I think about because I love film mm. as a genre. Yeah, films can actually really inspire me as mm. well creatively. So I, um, I would love to be able to write a screenplay. I met someone on an Avon course once. He said, "Well, just go away and write one." Of them. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, it's easy to say." <laughs> And she she was a screen. She did write screenplays. Yeah. But I thought, mm, no. Is there a poem of yours about film? Or am I, am I imagining it? You... Well, no. Um, I wrote about Mad Men. Telly. About Draper. Yeah, Betty Draper. Betty Draper. You know, I didn't, I didn't get the reference for it, but there's another poem which mentions Don Draper, and I put two and two together. <laughs> right. Um, shooting pigeons. That's right. Isn't it? Isn't yeah. That, so she's um, 
Yeah, it's about a scene in Mad Men. Yes. Yeah, yes, I really like. Yes. So there are, um, yeah, I'm often inspired by, by film yeah. or or, um, or some kind of telly, you know, good telly. Yeah. <laughs> Just, so I would love to, I, I know people who write for telly, I know mm. someone who writes for a soap mm. and um, I, I would love to be able to do it, but I, I, I wouldn't know where to start, I guess, I feel at the moment. What about a long poem? Because your poems generally are not long, are they? They're Have not you ever long. thought of a long poem? So... They are going over the page now, John. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm very... You know, <laughs> no, well, can see the book and, I can't imagine that. I do mm. like reading them. Mm. And, and poets I admire have, have done it. And Like Darren Rees-Jones' Quiver, that was really interesting. Right. And she would, yeah. that, that was a long time ago as well. She, yeah. she was, um, you know, doing very interesting things there. And, oh, I don't know, it's taken me a long time to go over the page, mm. let alone write a mm. long one. Mm. I wouldn't... Yeah, I'd have to be very, very sure about what I was going to write about, I think. But... Yeah, but you find it easy, don't you? Do you, you? You like the long poem. I think most poets should be stopped from writing long poems. <laughs> um, do, do you have a favourite quotation about poetry? Oh. No, but I do have a quotation that was up on my wall for a what long time. It was Joan Didion, mm. and she said... The late Joan Didion. The late, yeah. late, unfortunately, mm. Joan Didion. And I watched that documentary about her on Netflix. Mm. Did you see it? No. It was um, several years ago now. It was incredible. Her whole body language was fascinating. She, she moved her arms around. Mm. and Anyway, I admire her very much. But she said this line where she said, uh, see enough and write it down. But they felt like there was a comma after see enough. See enough and write it. She paused and write it down. And I just, I thought that was so brilliant. On You know, we're so used to saying writers are just watching everything and taking everything yeah, in. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're constantly, we're like sponges and da da and actually, it was just the way she said, see enough. And I thought, yeah, it's about seeing things, but knowing that it's just going to be a part of that, maybe, that is the poem, or part yeah, of that. Seeing the right thing. Seeing the right yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I loved that. Yeah, that's good. Um, so yeah. I used to have pinned yeah. that. That was pinned yeah. on my desk, but my desk was in a different room. <laughs> and any advice you'd give to other poets, or would-be poets? or um, to make sure that you you always are enjoying it, the writing, really. I think you get so caught up in everything from reject... You know, I work with mentees now who can be crushed by rejections, and I just... And other poets... You know, I continue to be accepted and rejected in equal measure in my working life, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm much more relaxed about it, but then I would be because I'm, you know, 25 years in the game. But I... I, I think to not let yourself be crushed by that and to understand that your work just wasn't the right fit for that editor at that time. It doesn't mean it's not necessarily going to find a home, but to just make sure that when you're in it, you you love the writing. And that's the reason you're doing it. Mm. I did meet somebody once who told me they didn't like the writing very much. They loved the going out with the book afterwards and meeting the audience and all that. I, I just couldn't just get my head around that. For me, it's um, to enjoy the writing and all the kind of poetry angst that goes with it from, you know, rejections or prizes or social media. And that's always going to be there now, whether we like it or not. Mm. But to just make and, and write what you want to write. Don't worry about what's being published out there and that you're nothing like that. You know, you're nothing like that for a reason. That might be more interesting. Yeah. You know, it'll, it'll be more interesting for the audience, surely, that we're all doing different things. And finally, I haven't really asked you about, we've talked about Evan Boland and one or two other, but I haven't really asked you about poets that 
important to you, that have influenced you. You mentioned Amy Lowell in the uh, yes uh, on the way here, yeah, um, which is an unusual name to hear mentioned. Yeah, I, do you know why I think it was because she liked the short poem, didn't she? Ah, I suppose so. And you were talking about. Um, mm. Long poems then, and I am such a fan of the short poem. Mm. Like Pauline Stainer, she's a Isn't she? So we've mm. talked about that mm. as well. And um, uh, somebody said to me once, oh, the reason you don't win any poetry competitions at records, your poems are all too short. <laughs> but I think well, it's true. Uh, how often does a very yeah, short poem how win often, one? Yeah. Yeah, and, and well, would you choose one if you were judging it? Exactly. Yeah, I'd be tempted. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did once when I was judging did it. Did you? So, yes. Controversially. Yeah. Oh, con- well, there you go, you see, controversially. Yeah. But I think, but I love the short poems, mm. the challenge of them, mm. to make them work, and how much can you pack into a short poem? So Emily Dickinson, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what other names, what uh, other poets that you would recommend to others, perhaps but, but the poets that people don't know that, you, that you're particularly fond of? I always say Sharon Olds, because I loved her growing up, but latterly I've really enjoyed collections by... Ella Frears and Rachel Long, but one of my favourite collections is Louise Gluck. I don't know. Me too. Uh, what a wonderful uh, yeah. Louise Gluck. Yeah, uh, the, the vi- Village Life. Yes, is it called? That? Is it, or is it called the Village? Uh, I, I love that collection. Uh, yeah, la- latterly, and I've been reading a lot of prose, and I think you know how you said I was influenced by film I'm also very influenced by novels, so mm. I don't have to be necessarily reading poems when I'm no. writing poems. No. I can also be very influenced by fiction, hugely mm. influenced by fiction. It's interesting how writers in a particular genre often don't read much. In the other. I mean, I remember William Golding saying he never read novels, he read poetry all no, the time. right, that's interesting. <laughs> so there was that's, a novelist. Yeah, it? that's interesting. Uh, and I think, um, so like Marilyn Robinson, mm. I love the detail she goes into and that she could spend, that, you know, there was it could be two pages on a piece of paper burning in a fire. Or, but there's something to me really poetic about that. And I just, you know, so I am, I can be very inspired by, by that too. I've just thought of my all-time favourite poem. Oh, yes. I can't believe, because I was only talking about it the other day to someone. Yeah. One of my all-time favourite poems yeah. is, and you talked about the confessional poet, funny yes. enough, um, is Anne Sexton's Young, right. which is one of my absolute favourites. Right. Just about the young girl looking back up at her parents' house and it's become hugely resonant and lying outside in the grass with the stars above her, asking, you know, wanting to give the stars her questions. It's been very relevant to my Suffolk book, that poem. (laughs) Yeah. Is there one of your own poems that you would regard as a a signature poem, or perhaps the poem you want to be remembered by, or the poem you perhaps always read at a reading that that defines you in some way? Well, that's really hard. That's really hard. Because even though I feel I'm so defined by my... the book about Ella in a way, you know, I have become defined yes. a bit by that. I probably wouldn't want to pick one from there, really. No, right. You know, so I think it would either have to be right back at the beginning, like something from Anatomy, like the man who has that sexual fantasy about the girl with the one leg, because to me everything's in that, you know, sex and the body and a marital relationship and a kind of pseudo-domestic situation and mm. that kind of thing. Home and sex and the body, really. That would, if there was one that, <laughs> if there was one well, that well, Yeats, all those. Yeats said that poetry of sex of the dead, that was it. Right, there you uh, go. Like, there you go. It, really. <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. Rebecca, it's been a delight to talk to you. Thank uh, you, you. Thank you very much for inviting me into your home. Thank you very much, John. It's been lovely to have you here. That was Rebecca Goss in conversation with John Greening. You can find out more about Rebecca on her website at rebeccagoss.wordpress.com. And that concludes episode 412, 
which was recorded by John Greening and produced by Kona McPhee. Coming up in episode 413, Adriana Hunter considers the limits of automated translation and Brian Clegg rues our human tendency to reduce the world into rigid categories. We hope you'll join us. You've been listening to Writers Aloud, a podcast brought to you by writers for the Royal Literary Fund in London. To subscribe to podcasts and to find out more about the work of the RLF, please visit our website at www.rlf.org.uk. Thanks for listening.